This is Africa News Tonight on The Voice of America. Hello and welcome. Welcome to Africa News Tonight from the English to Africa service of The Voice of America, your source for Pan-African news and world developments. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. Coming up on Africa News Tonight... They have all concurred and agreed to give the monitoring and verification team of the African Union full access. That's former Kenyan President Uhuru Kenyatta on Ethiopian and Tigrayan negotiators agreeing to let the African Union monitor a ceasefire in their two-year-old war. Details coming up. Also, Malawi has banned sales of street food to contain a cholera outbreak. Togo's president has fired his armed forces minister. And we hear how the investigation into former U.S. President Trump is seen in Africa. These stories and more on African News tonight. We start with our top story. Authorities in Malawi have banned sales of street food in an effort to contain a cholera outbreak that has killed more than 400 people this year across the country. Health authorities say 11 more people died yesterday when the ban was announced. Lamek Masina reports from Blantyre, Malawi. Malawi's Ministry of Health says 883 people are currently patients in hospitals of a total of 13,837 cholera cases since the outbreak began in March. This situation has forced authorities in the capital, Ilongwe, and the economic hub, Blanta, to ban the selling of cooked food in the streets and communal restaurants. Wilden Deep was the head of the Blanta City Council. We've noted from the health department that most of these cholera are spread through cooked food uh, that are not uh, prepared properly. Maybe the water that has been used is not uh, the water that maybe uh, from a well-established uh, source or a point. So in such regard, what we have decided as Blanta City Council is to ban the sale of uh, all cooked foods. Last week, the Lilongwe City Council also stopped the sale of cooked food in the city's markets and streets. Critics doubt food vendors will take heed of the ban after they defied a similar ban announced in September. Roda Mauluka sells cooked and spiced Irish potatoes, locally known as Zibwente, in Indirande Township. She says she understands the motive behind the ban, but adds it is difficult for her to stop selling the food. She says business is the only source of my survival here in town. I use the money to pay my rentals, support my two school children, and buy our daily food. She says it is unfair to impose such a ban without providing us with an alternative way of earning a living. Mauluka says instead of banning the sale of cooked food, authorities could have just educated the food sellers on safe measures to prepare and keep food free from cholera infection. Mayor Ndipo said Blanta will send its inspectors to food selling points and the inspectors have authority to confiscate food from sellers who deny the ban. The city is among the districts hardest hit by the outbreak. It has recorded 67 deaths and 1,197 cholera cases, including 67 new cases recorded Thursday. 
the sage forced authorities in Blanta this week to shut down a public health clinic in Machinjiri Township and turn it into a cholera camp. Sam Saunda is deputy director of health and social services in Blanta. We had uh, so many cases of cholera, uh, so the cholera camp was uh, quite overwhelmed with uh, what was happening at the cholera camp. And uh, to prevent further spread of cholera, because we had so many patients, we said no, let's uh, discontinue other services so that we just focus on the cholera cases. The presidential task force on cholera said it is considering other measures to fight the cholera outbreak. Dr. Nima Kimambo is the World Health Organization representative in Malawi. The WHO donated various medical supplies to Malawi Thursday. But Kimambo says the country needs greater assistance to contain the outbreak. The donation the WHO has given today is part of the need but when you look at uh, the calculations of what is in the cholera uh, response plan there is a need for almost supplies of around over three million um, u.s dollars malawi is currently administering cholera vaccine in hotspot districts health authorities say about 70 percent of targeted people have received the vaccine lamik masina for viewer news Blanta, Malawi. Togo's president has fired the country's armed forces minister and appointed a new chief of staff. President Fawari Nasingibe, who announced the decree on state television, gave no explanation for the change. The French news agency AFP says no replacement will be named for the armed forces minister, Marguerite Esosa Simani Nakadi, and the military will now answer directly to the presidency. In another move, former chief of staff of the Air Force, Colonel Tasunti Jatto, has been promoted to general and appointed chief of staff of the Togolese Armed Forces. He replaces Brigadier General Daja Maganwi. The shake-up comes amid increasing attacks by Islamic insurgents in the north, especially along the border with Burkina Faso. According to AFP, there have been at least five attacks in the region over the past year. Egyptian President Abdel Fattah el-Sisi has issued a presidential decree unilaterally demarcating the Mediterranean's western maritime borders with Libya. The move will allow Egypt to present firm offshore borders to international oil companies for exploration of oil and gas deposits and preserve the gas wealth in its Mediterranean region. But the government of national unity in Tripoli rejected the action, calling it a violation of Libyan rights and urged Cairo to hold talks. VOA senior analyst Mohamed El-Shanawi discussed these developments with Wolfgang Porstai, former Austrian military attaché in Libya. First and foremost, I would say this statement from Libyan lips is somehow strange. The Libyan Ministry of Foreign Affairs did not have any problem when they've signed the Memorandum of Understandings with Turkey about the delineation of the exclusive economic zones in 2019 and about the exploitation of hydrocarbon resources within these claimed zones in October this year, both in violation of the UN Convention on the Law of the Sea and both without consulting or even negotiating with the other countries affected by such a claim, namely with Greece and 
ACIP. The message from Al-Sisi is that ACIP is firm in defending what it considers its sovereignty and its national interests. To conclude, I would say neither Libya nor Turkey could be really surprised about this unilateral decree about the demarcation of Egypt's maritime borders with Libya, as they were doing exactly the same. As you said, the GNU had signed in early October a memorandum of understanding with Turkey, allowing the latter to start exploration and drilling in the maritime border area between the two countries. The European Parliament had urged the Libyan authorities to cancel the memorandum of understanding with Turkey and the border demarcation agreement between the two countries. What could the conflict over maritime borders add to the political situation in Libya? The significance of this conflict over maritime borders for the domestic crisis in Libya is rather limited. The papers rival Prime Minister Fatih Bashaga and many in the East, especially the House of Representatives, of course, complain about this memorandum of understanding. They state that the paper is simply not entitled to sign this kind of agreements. This may be right or wrong. But it's interesting that Fatih Bashaga was the main driving element behind the November 2019 maritime agreement with Turkey. For the Easterners, this is also a different story. They also want to prevent Turkey from exploiting their resources off the coast without their consent. On the international level, this conflict is much more significant for the geostrategic situation in the eastern Mediterranean and the conflict between Turkey on one side and especially Greece, but also Egypt on the other side. I expect the Turks to start drilling before the presidential elections in June next year. They will probably drill south of the middle line between Crete and Syrianica, so in order not to provoke too much, in an area where, according to their information, the prospects for success are quite good. The aim would be that Erdogan could announce a major success that he had found a huge gas deposit just before the election day. Egyptian sources say Cairo's move sends a message to Ankara that any rapprochement with the Sisi government does not change much in the eastern Mediterranean dispute, which pits Egypt against Turkey. What's your take on that? The sources are certainly absolutely correct. The importance of the recent handshake in Qatar between the presidents Al-Sisi and Erdogan should not be overestimated. This did not solve any of the many problems between the two countries, and there are still many open issues. First and foremost, the issue about the Muslim Brotherhood, which is by the Al-Sisi government still perceived as a main threat to the stability of the country and to their government. Istanbul is one of the major hubs of the Brotherhood. Two out of the three major factions of the Brotherhood are resident in Istanbul. Many of its prominent representatives live there, including the leadership of Egypt's Iqwan, Egypt's Brotherhood. Why telling is that just before his death in London, at that time Muslim Brotherhood acting general guide Ibrahim Munir declared that the Brotherhood would no longer seek power in Egypt. Immediately, the Istanbul factions of the Brotherhood rejected this position. One of them still believes in militant operations against the Al-Sisi government. And the outcome of this debate was that Amunir was exempted for this from the Brotherhood. Furthermore, other open issues are the Turkish role in Sudan, where there is an expeditionary base, a navy base on Suakin Island in the Red Sea, uh, the dispute about the exclusive economic zones in the eastern Mediterranean, and of course, the role of Turkey in Libya. And all this is not solved by one handshake in Qatar. That was Wolfgang Poshtai, former Austrian military attaché in Libya, speaking with VOA senior analyst Mohamed al Shenawi. You're listening to African News Tonight on The Voice of America. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. 
as we approach the end of year 2022, VOA wants to give you, our loyal listeners, the opportunity to wish your loved ones a happy new year. Call us on our WhatsApp number, 202-258-3076. Leave a brief message and listen for it right here on VOA. The number again, 202 202- Two five eight three zero seven six. Let VOA help you bring cheer and blessings to friends and family by just calling two o two two five eight three zero seven six. South Africa's state power company, ESCOM, says auditors question its ability to continue op- operating due to irregular spending, waste, and financial mismanagement. The company reports that its debt remains high and that it lost $719 million in the year ending March 2022, about half as much as it did the prior year. It is also expected to face deep losses next year. The announcement follows the resignation earlier this month of ESCOM's CEO, who said the lack of political support made his position unattainable. In October, the government said it would take over up to two-thirds of the company's debt to keep it afloat. ESCOM has implemented power cuts as it struggles to update an aging number of coal-fired power stations that are failing to meet demand. The U.S. House January 6th Committee has voted to recommend the Justice Department pursue four criminal charges against former President Donald Trump for effort to overturn the 2020 presidential election and foment a violent mob at the U.S. Capitol. Suleiman Baldo is a widely recognized expert on conflict resolution, development and human rights in Africa, a former director of the Africa Program at the International Crisis Group and current director of Sudan Transparency. He compares how the legal system works in the U.S. when a former president faces possible criminal charges compared with that of former leaders of African countries like Sudan, where ousted President Omar al-Bashir was charged with international and national crimes. He tells VOA's Carol Van Dam, it's different when the justice system is handpicked by a leader who ruled the country for 30 years. They had a, you know, an ideological project of establishing an Islamic state in the country. And uh, in reality, uh, all institutions uh, of the state were basically marginalized, uh, pushed aside in favor of parallel institutions that were controlled by the ideological movement behind the regime. Nowhere was this more evident than in the judiciary uh, in Sudan, where, you know, you had uh, a judiciary which was totally subjected to the executive and which was uh, politically uh, driven, ideologically driven, uh, and therefore, uh, you know, it represented form of um, institutional injustice, I would say. Uh, and it is very telling that people had to wait until the fall of Bashir, 30 years from the day he, uh, you know, acceded to power for the judiciary to finally begin to try and hold him accountable uh, for, for crimes committed during his rule. So where do things stand now in Sudan regarding the charges against Bashir? 
there were charges of corruption because when he was uh, deposed, there was money found in his position in cash, which violated Sudan's regulations on, on um, uh, foreign currency uh, position. Uh, regulations that were toughened in terms of uh, sentences by the Bashir regime. Uh, he was sentenced to two years uh, of prison, but he was basically given his age. Um, you know, Sudanese law prevents the imprisonment of people above 75 years of age. He was therefore he served those two years in a correction house, basically investigating and trying to determine responsibility for war crimes, crimes against humanity that were that took place under the overall command of Omar al-Bashir as the supreme commander of Sudan Armed Forces. So what about other countries in Africa and, and how do you think they view what's going on here with the charges, the January 6th recommendations for charges against Trump and other countries and how it's played out when their former leaders have been charged with criminal wrongdoing? Well, it's not easy to generalize about judicial systems in the continent. They vary tremendously between one country to the other. And one, you know, the record of the judiciary in one country should be looked at for that country, you know, in terms of. But the overall trend in Africa is that the judiciary uh, is extremely politicized and extremely uh, shy when it comes to holding officials who are in office accountable. We may find that there are precedents of such cases, uh, such as in, in South Africa. But we know that one major uh, you know, achievement in, in the uh, compromise that led to the, you know, to the dismantling of the apartheid system in, 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 in South Africa was the adoption of a, a constitution which acknowledges the you know equality of all citizens before the law that no person is above the law and therefore uh, we have seen in that country uh, the serving presidents such as president zuma uh, facing uh, charges of of corruption and and, and uh, standing you know in, in trial uh, for that even uh, as we speak now the current president of south africa you know, it's being held accountable by the media and his own party uh, for uh, unexplained uh, stashes of cash found in, in his private uh, farm and so on. But this would be the exception by all means uh, because of, uh, you know, the lack of similar primacy of the rule of law in many of the countries uh, in Africa. That's African political analyst Suleiman Baldo, director of Sudan Transparency and Political Tracker. He was speaking with my colleague Carol Van Dam. The Associated Press says Spanish prosecutors have dropped their investigation into the deaths of 23 migrants on the border between Morocco and the Spanish enclave city of Melilla. The prosecutors said they found no evidence of misconduct by Spain's security forces as they tried to hold back around 2,000 immigrants who overran the border fence from the Moroccan side in June. 23 people were crushed in the stampede. Spanish police used tear gas and batons to beat some of the men. The prosecutor's statement said 470 immigrants were turned back to Morocco in accordance with Spanish immigration law. Amnesty International said the investigations smack of a cover-up 
and racism. Meanwhile, a UK inquest has found that four migrants who died while crossing the English Channel from France on December 14th may have been from West Africa and South Asia. The French news agency AFP says the final report by the police force in Kent in southeast England has been adjourned until further investigations. The coroner at the hearing today said two of the victims may have been from Senegal and the other pair from Afghanistan. Former Kenyan President Uhuru Kenyatta will travel to Ethiopia's Tigray region to oversee monitoring of last month's peace deal. Ethiopian federal and Tigray region officials agreed late last night at talks in Nairobi to grant the African Union full access to the region to oversee an end to the two-year conflict. Mohamed Yusuf reports from Nairobi, Kenya. Ethiopian military leadership and representatives of the rebel Tigray People's Liberation Front have agreed to establish a joint monitoring team to oversee the peace agreement signed in November. The agreement, signed in South Africa, ended two years of fighting between the federal government and TPLF that killed hundreds of thousands and displaced millions. Former Kenyan President Uhuru Kenyatta, who is also part of the mediating team, said Thursday the warring factions have agreed to have a body monitor the peace deal. They have all concurred and agreed to give the monitoring and verification team of the African Union full access, full 360-degree uh, viewpoint to ensure that all the elements of the agreement are actually going to be implemented. The mediators who met peace negotiators in Nairobi this week expressed confidence in normalcy returning to the Tigray region and peace in Ethiopia. Professor Chacha Nyegoti Chacha, an expert in diplomacy and international relations, says the African Union must play its role in solving conflicts in the continent. The problem with African Union is that uh, sometimes uh, resolutions and determination of this nature has not been followed by tangible results in the field. But we're hoping that this time around, the warring parties will be able to appreciate the fact that they need very urgently to have a solution to the problems. The war between the Ethiopian government and the Tigray rubber group broke out in November 2020 and spread to the Amhara and Afar regions. The peace deal has brought some relief to the suffering population in the north of the country. Ethiopian leaders have been meeting to discuss ways of carrying out the disarmament of rebels in Tigray and neighboring regions and negotiate the withdrawal of Eritrean forces who assisted the Ethiopian army. Kenyatta says his team and African Union representatives will visit Tigray's capital to check on the progress of the peace agreement. They have uh, been negotiating for the last two days, but we agreed the true statement that they need to make will be the statement they make when we are in Mekele in the next few days, observing and verifying the actions. Because documents are one thing. What we want now is the deliverables. And this is why we are heading to Mekele. There was no immediate word on when Kenyatta will go to Tigray. Chacha says the Kenyatta team's visit will help solve the outstanding issues in the peace deal. The action of visiting will give them first-hand information and the knowledge about the situation on the ground 
And when that situation on the ground is clearly understood, then the parties concerned, including the mediators, can understand and appreciate uh, the way they will approach uh, the resolution in order for them to create an atmosphere that can bring about peace. Some of the peace deal's provisions have already been implemented, including humanitarian aid and the restoration of banking and telecommunication services. Mohamed Yusuf for VA News, Nairobi. And that wraps up this edition of African News Tonight. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. For all the latest developments on the continent 24-7, visit our website at voaafrica.com. On behalf of our producer, Mokbilia Baro, and our engineer, Nelson Lopes, thanks for choosing the Voice of America.